Hello and welcome to PathPod. This is our next episode of PathPod News Edition. Today our host, Dr. Meredith Pittman, will speak with Dr. Carla Ellis, Director of Wellness, Diversity and Inclusion at Northwestern Medical Group in Chicago, Illinois. We'll hear their conversation about mental stressors and the implications of racial inequalities in medicine and beyond. Our host, Dr. Pittman, can be found on Twitter at Mayor Pitt, and Dr. Ellis can be found on Twitter at The Glass Pusher. Now here's our host, Dr. Meredith Pittman. Hello and welcome to PathPod News Edition. I'm your host, Dr. Meredith Pittman. This week, the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center reported that there are almost 10 million cases of COVID-19 worldwide, and we are closing in on half a million confirmed deaths. Cases and fatalities are rising rapidly in Latin America, India, and Pakistan, but the United States has yet to bring the virus under control either. Over half of states have continued to see an increase in the number of cases that is out of proportion to the amount of testing being performed. Health officials are warning that this is not the dreaded second wave of infection, but rather that the first wave continues to swell. It is with this backdrop that a new year begins for academic medicine in the United States. Across the country, new residents have begun orientation. New faculty are moving into new cities, hospitals, and offices ready to begin their careers. And to carry us into this new year, I am so pleased to have with us today Dr. Carla Ellis, an Associate Professor of Pathology at Northwestern Medical School who specializes in genitourinary and renal pathology. Dr. Ellis recently spoke to her own department about promoting workplace wellness in a time of racial unrest and COVID-19 anxieties, and she was gracious enough to share some of her thoughts and insights with us today. Dr. Ellis, welcome to PathPod News Edition. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, And I should say it's a very appropriate day for us to be talking because it is June 19th. Would you like to say anything about today's holiday, even though this won't be airing on Juneteenth? I think that um, it's a very appropriate day to be talking about some of the things that we're talking about today. First, I want to thank you for inviting me to do this. Having an opportunity to have this platform allows us to keep the conversation moving and keep the momentum moving forward with regard to some of the issues that we're talking about. My fear is that, you know, it's going to have a big hype and a lot of attention. And then as we move forward and deal with COVID and all of that, it may lose sight. So the opportunity to talk about this, particularly on June 19th, it it gives an opportunity for us to keep the conversation going about it. So I appreciate it. And I appreciate being able to do it on this day. It's a very good Juneteenth gift for me. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited to have you on. First of all, I want to talk about the fact that one of your roles at Northwestern is being the director of wellness for the pathology training program. I'm curious how you first became involved with wellness as a component of medical training and how your thoughts on physician wellness overall have evolved over the past six months in the setting of a pandemic and racial unrest. Yeah, that's a great question. So it actually started a few years ago um, at Emory before I transitioned to Northwestern. And then at Emory, I was the chair of the wellness committee for trainees. It kind of got established while I was there. It was a new thing. We got a great budget and, you know, we established a wellness program that included a lot of like monthly events that focused on a lot of the tenets of wellness. So 
of course we had a lot of social events that's always fun but then we had like every month we would have something different for instance we had a speaker from our faculty staff assistance program to come and talk to the trainees about making residents aware and, and fellows that it even existed but more how it works how is the confidentiality maintained what are the hours like how, how do you because it's great to have a resource like that but sometimes it can be a little overwhelming to actually reach out to people if you need help so mm -hmm. we had someone from the fsap come we had um a financial wellness session where i had someone come in a guest speaker to talk about position financial planning which i thought was very timely for people in training because they're about to go out into the workforce and kind of know how to deal with money we had fun stuff like massages I, maybe like once a quarter i think we had uh, massage students come in with their massage chairs and so we had like a little uh, Google Doc list with time slots and so you would just like get off of grossing and then shoot over and have a 15-20 minute chair massage. Wow. You know, things to kind of help deal with the day-to-day -day stuff. So that was a very, very rewarding experience for me and um, the last USCAP I presented the findings from that because we had a pre-wellness committee survey and a post-wellness committee survey and looked at you know how people's thoughts on their overall wellness had improved or didn't change with the formation of the wellness committee and it did and it was great then when i transitioned to northwestern i felt like it was very important to continue the work in the wellness space and so now my role is more to address like the overall departmental and more faculty wellness and burnout prevention for faculty um, so it's in place to recognize all components of our department. Like people always forget about staff, like the people who make us look good, the histotechs, you know, our lab techs and, you know, our administrative people, we, you know, so it's kind of taking in the whole departmental roles um, and, and working with that and their different needs in terms of wellness. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just feel like it's, it's such an important thing that doesn't get enough focus. So I'm very, very happy to be working on it here. That's great. I love the fact that you are making it department wide. So <laughs> with wellness, yeah. uh, there's been a lot of changes and ways that wellness has been stressed in the past few months. So let's start with the pandemic. People are fearful for their own health, for the health of their loved ones, people, doctors and staff coming in and out of the hospital where sick patients are. People who aren't essential workers are very socially isolated. So there's this mental health component that we can't ignore. Jobs, even jobs in medicine are disappearing because of the financial downturn. How do we even start to address wellness when this crisis is just so big and there's also not an end date. It's not like you can say, well, on August 1st, things are going to be better. What do we do? Yeah, that is such a good question. And that was a large part of the talk I gave. I feel like the best way to approach the concept of wellness during this time is to, rem one thing is to remember that we are very, very fortunate to be quote unquote, essential workers. You know, this is a healthcare related crisis and we are healthcare workers. I feel that the, the one hopeful aspect of it is as we constantly learn more about this disease, the SARS-CoV-2, COVID, and we get a handle on the correct needs for PPE and we in increase our knowledge about testing and detection. You know, just think about where we were three months ago yeah. as, compared to, as compared to now. I think that things will begin to stabilize and I'm very, very hopeful and certain that there 
is an endpoint in sight, but you're right. We don't have a particular date. We don't know when that is. So it's just going to be keeping in mind the resilience that we need and the adjustments that we need to make because it's just a matter of time before we actually do get there. So I'm hopeful in that regard. But some of the things I talked about in my talk were um, responses to stress injuries. So the concept of, okay, you can have a physical injury that's very painful to you, but there are also things called stress injuries that, while not physically harmful, are harm harmful to your psyche and to your wellness. Oh. And so that's what, what this pandemic can be in a lot of ways. And so I gave some tips on how to handle that. And that's just connecting with your family and friends, you know, and, and staying around people that help you feel well and connected and remembering to address our physical health to the best of our ability. If it, you know, to the best of our ability, if it helps us feel better to exercise or do yoga or meditate or whatever, whatever it is, everybody's different, you know, to remember those things, even though the, places that we do those things have changed and that, that look has changed and remembering to take the appropriate breaks. Vacation now looks very different. A lot of times we're thinking about, oh, vacation, we're going to go visit these people or go fly somewhere and have fun here. And we can't do that, but we can still take breaks, the appropriate breaks from the day to day in a different kind of way. And just, I did my own staycation, stayed at home, worked around the house, just did some stuff to give myself a break from mm -hmm. dealing with the day-to-day -day stuff. I love yeah. what you're saying about staying in touch with family and friends, and I think that's incredibly important. I actually have a group of friends in New York, and we can't see each other physically right now, so we have a, we have a Zoom happy hour once a week where we get together and just talk, and that has been incredibly helpful to my psyche to still have this, this Friday date where we do yeah. what we would have done pre-pandemic and now we're just doing it in the isolation of our own apartments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Virtual happy hours have been my saving grace. So even though we're not able to be in the same space as people as much, you know, we're still able to, with the grace of things like Zoom and Teams, be able to still see each other and talk to her, talk to each other and flesh out some of those stressful concerns. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very fortunate to be in a time where technology is what it is and we're able to still maintain the connection with other people very yeah. very fortunate the other thing i wanted to talk about is that when covid first hit it was like covid's not going to discriminate between who gets this disease it's a virus but it became apparent pretty quickly that not all communities were going to be impacted in the same way even in March, there were news articles out of Milwaukee and Detroit and Philadelphia that COVID was having a more severe impact in Black communities. And then by April, there were reports that the, the Navajo Nation and the American Southwest was being hit really hard and the immigrant populations in Texas and New York City. So everyone started talking about healthcare inequalities. And these have always existed. And this could be a whole podcast series in and of itself. But I'd like to hear how you talk to your residents and what are the conversations you've been having with your faculty and your administration about these systemic problems with healthcare delivery. How are you talking about racial bias in medicine and are there direct actions that we can take? Yeah, absolutely. Such a great question. Um, first, I, I just have to say, I would be remiss if I didn't say that my residents, both at Emory, that I'm still in connection with, and my current residents at Northwestern, 
have just been absolutely amazingly supportive with regard to these issues and, and the support of me and of their colleagues um, with these issues. In some ways, I think as physicians, you know, this is just generally speaking, we hold ourselves to a higher moral standard with regard to helping people, you know, and our general attitude towards people in need. And COVID was such a huge hit to all of it. So all of those inequities in healthcare and just inequities in general that just sort of exist at baseline were hit pretty hard with this disease that no one really knew about. And it just brought more visibility to those things to the surface. You, you make a great point um, about how can we, now that this is more of a national issue and people are paying more attention to it, how can we help in terms of our trainees and colleagues? And the first thing is definitely just understanding and acknowledging that it's a problem. Like that's more than 50% of the way there. And I think, you know, some people it's very hard to understand that that's actually a problem. So that's just the first step. And then, you know, we're physicians, we're, we are intelligent people by nature, just educating ourselves, you know, about the issues of healthcare disparity. There's a multitude of literature out there about inequities in healthcare and bias and all of the things that they're just there. They just exist. And it's just a matter of, as I said, understanding and, and acknowledging it's a problem, then being proactive about reaching out and educating ourselves about these issues. Another important thing is getting involved and aligning ourselves with the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts of our institutions and our communities. Like there's so many, I've been so impressed with Northwestern with how many opportunities and there's a women's health center and there's a LGBTQ effort, you know, with, along with Northwestern. There's so many things that are just available to us that we can, you know, take a minute to just research and see how we can get involved. Yeah. One of the biggest misconceptions I think that exists, and I talked about this in my talk too, about diversity, equity, and inclusion space is that sometimes people feel like you have to be from a diverse background to be involved in it, or you have to be of a certain community in order to be involved. And that couldn't be further from the truth because by definition, <laughs> diversity, equity, and inclusion should be diverse, equitable, and inclusive of everyone. And right. especially right now with things that are happening, it's just so much more important that all voices are heard and just so that we can achieve the goals that we are talking about right now. If you feel like you're experiencing some of these moral and stress injuries that acknowledging that it's a problem, educating yourself about it, and then what actions you can take and you can do within your own institutional community and even your own like home community yeah. to see how you can assist with that will probably be the best start there. That's really good advice. Yeah. So you're the wellness director and you have a global pandemic and healthcare inequity and now enter the protests. So on May 25th, uh, Mr. George Floyd was um, murdered by a white police officer and that set off what has now been over 20 days of protests. This wasn't just about him, as we know, this was about uh, this, again, systemic bias. And there had also been other recent deaths, Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, and then Rayshard Brooks in Georgia again. How do we begin to address these deaths with our trainees? What are some things that I, as a white woman, 
can do that's nice to check in on my colleagues of color? What are things that I absolutely should not be saying because it would be more stressful, could cause more stress injuries to my colleagues and my residents? I, I think there are a lot of physicians who want to be sensitive here. So how can we be helpful and how can I help my trainees? Yeah, that that is, again, such a, a great and timely question. And it just it really hit the nail on the head of one of the core components of that talk that I gave, because that's kind of what people are wondering about. It's so, so hard to know what to say, you know, or how, how to express your support. And so one of the things that I devoted a couple of slides to was what I called like an SOS or a statement of support. Okay. Now, obviously, if you have a very close friend or a family member or a loved one that's a person of color or from any marginalized group that you have a relationship with and that you can talk to openly, that's obviously not what this is for. Regarding like your colleagues that you see, you're not super close with them or your trainees and you just want to reach out. What has been helpful to me, and I'm just an individual, it has been people who over the past 20 days, like you said, who have just sent like a text message or an email and allowed the recipient, me or whoever is the recipient, the opportunity to process that and just formulate their response to it at a time that's convenient for them. Because a lot of times you, you see this, are you okay? You know, or how are you feeling? It almost seems like it, it suggests that we could be okay, you know, or we could be doing well, you know, and I, I can speak for black people and people of color who are seeing the things that are happening in our country right now. And we're not okay. I am not, I'm not okay, especially a few weeks ago, I just wasn't okay. So I've had so many friends and colleagues that just like send either a text message or email and say, you know, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for giving that talk and, you know, and that kind of thing. And that way you just, you know, you, you take a second, you digest it. You're, I was elated to see it. And then, you know, it gives you a chance to respond at a time that's convenient for you. So I just, in the talk, I called it like an SOS or a statement of support. And it all depends on your relationship with that person. Yeah. You know, and I can't imagine, you know, and this is me personally, I can't imagine how anyone would be offended by that. And everyone's going to be different. But I think it's good advice to say, send an affirmation. Yeah. Just yeah. leave it. And then if you feel like you want to respond, you can. And if you feel like you don't want to respond, there's no expectation that there has to be a response. It's completely up to you. And, and it's yeah. just a, an affirmation out into the world. Yeah, and at least as the person receiving, I know that Meredith Pittman is someone who is understanding what's going on right now, really wants to show me and communicate to me her support, and I'm so appreciative of that. Because I, I, there were times when I would just be so emotional, <laughs> you know, like there was a picture of me that, in the Chicago Tribune that is embarrassing at this point, but I was like, literally, we were doing a demonstration in front of the Women's Hospital at Northwestern. And we all kneeled for eight minutes, however long it was. I can't even watch these videos anymore. No, but no. while I was down there on my knee, I just could not, I just kept thinking about being under someone's knee, like my neck being under someone's knee. And I got overwhelmed and I just lost it. And somebody took a picture of it and it was, you know, it went out. 
in the Chicago Tribune and it was just like, it was very touching and everybody was supportive, but I just, it's my point that I'm trying to make is that I just was not that I had to leave. Like there were residents out there with me and other faculty and I was kind of in, in my role trying to leave the group out there and we had a meeting place beforehand and I just had to get up and leave. I could not continue to do it. You know, I just broke down. So yeah. I, I think that, I'm cognizant of a lot of people that are supportive of me, but it also, to me, it's just so good to hear that. And I know that sometimes it's difficult to know what to say in such an emotional moment, but I just, I have found those statements of support so helpful to me. You are the wellness expert here, not me, but it, mm-hmm. it seems like there has to be a space in wellness to say, it's okay for you not to be okay right now. Yeah. And to be able to sit with that and accept it and for a workplace to be able to say, this is really messed up and you're allowed to have these feelings right now. Like there has to be space for that and wellness to be able to really express some of that, especially with everything that's going on right now. I actually think probably for your residents, that was a really powerful thing to have someone that they admire and respect be able to, to sit with that and express yourself like that. Because sometimes um, we're taught that we're not supposed to, you know, we're all type A physicians and everything's tied up with a nice little bow and we're perfectionists. And so I, I think that that was probably a teaching life moment for them. You're right. There should be a place to say it's okay to not be okay. And I know that, you know, Mm -hmm. But applying some of those things to yourself can be so, so difficult. So, so oh, difficult, especially when you just want to, you're type A, you want everything to be perfect, you want things to go well, and you want to make sure that you just portray yourself in a way that is in control of things and unemotional. And sometimes it's, you're right, it's good for people to see that you are, you know, and that these things do affect you. And if you have to take a moment to just step away and deal with it, That's really great. Thank you for that answer. The next thing I wanted to talk to you about is going along with this systemic racism idea and the way that we're now starting to push back against that with these protests. People of color have been doing that for centuries. (laughs) And it's like white people are starting to show up. (laughs) Um, What resources... And I know there's a ton of web pages that people can go find this for themselves. But if I were your resident and you were giving me this talk, what are some of the resources that you think are really good for people who want to learn more about Black Lives Matter, who want to learn more about these racial biases in medicine? What are some resources that you have? And then the second part of that question is, have you had to have any conversations with people who feel uncomfortable with all of this, who feel like maybe we've blown things out of proportion, uh, who, who, uh, who aren't approaching this from the side of, yes, there's a problem and I want to fix it. So two part question, uh, any resources for people who do want to learn? And then what are we saying to people who may still be in some state of denial about everything that's going on? You are absolutely correct, Meredith. Uh, 
people of color, black people, mar any marginalized people, I like that you brought in the, the Native American piece earlier, um, have struggled with this for years, like in and out of medicine. It's, it's We, because we are physicians, we tend to think about healthcare inequities, but it's inequities at every level. And so some of the resources that have been, I, I think have been super helpful have just been just in terms of Black Lives Matter and things like that, there's a website called colorofchange.org uh, that does a lot of work with changing some of the systemic problems that you're having um, recently. There are a variety of GoFundMe pages for all the recently slain individuals that you spoke about and named. Um, and there's all these um, helpful resources online that allow you to donate do these things safely. You know, I think sometimes people get concerned about putting their credit card information out there and hackers and that kind of thing, but there are resources online that allow you to be able to donate safely. And I like, I like GoFundMe pages because they tell the story. Like, you may know hashtag Breonna Taylor, but you may not know that she was a healthcare worker yeah. like us. You know, she was a, a award-winning, I think she was an emergency medicine technician. Yeah. Um, and that she was sleeping yeah. at the time that this happened. And the police broke into her home and shot her eight times. And so I learned that not so much from just the hashtag, but from going onto the GoFundMe page and reading about it, reading about the GoFundMe page for George Floyd. And it, they tell you exactly where your money is going mm -hmm. to help the family, to help with burial costs. You know, and that kind of thing. So those are helpful. Color of Change is one. Um, the Marshall Project is a website that and an organization dedicated to criminal justice reform. Um, so, so that's a good one. There's a variety of books. I have four of my favorites that I have to, have to talk about. Um, and I have the authors. There's a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibrahim Kendi. Such a good book. Um, there's a book called The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. White Fragility is a good one that I keep hearing about. It's by a woman named Robin D'Angelo. Such a, such a great book. I, want, I haven't read that one yet, but I definitely want to, great in the sense that I want to read about that one. Yeah, it's, uh, it is sold out everywhere. I cannot is find it? it. So I think, that's, oh. I think that's actually a really good sign. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good sign. I would imagine there should be access to some of these books on like a Kindle or some sort of online. Yeah, yeah I'm sure there is. But yeah. I'm fascinated and I like the paper. So Me yeah. too. Me too. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> um, and then the last one is Me and White Supremacy by a woman named Layla Saad. And so a lot of these books, um, uh, some I've read, some I haven't read, but I think they, I keep hearing about them. Just wonderful resources for people who want to learn more about it. You know, and if, if my, I want to say while I have this platform that if the term Black Lives Matter is confusing or offensive or bothers you in some way, you know, like I'm, I'm a black person. So obviously I feel like my life matters and the life of my family and friends and colleagues that are black people matters. But one of the things I saw um, on social media was something called adding the two. You know, and, and understanding that that term does not mean only Black Lives Matter. It means Black Lives Matter too. You know, we also matter. And then there was this really, it probably would come off as a silly analogy. There was an analogy of, um, yeah, this woman said that if you were, whatever, working on your house or something, you fell and you broke your arm. 
and you go into the hospital and you have a broken humerus, you know, and you say, and you know, you want help. And the doctor says to you, well, all your bones matter. Like all of your health care issues matter right now. And you would look at that person, <laughs> that doctor and say, but my arm is the one that's broken right now. <laughs> you know, my arm is the one that needs the attention and needs the focus right now. Yes, obviously my overall health matters, <laughs> you know, so it's just, thinking about it in a different way. And Black Lives Matter has a website. If, you, if you're uncomfortable with it, go to the website, read about it, read about the cause, read about the purpose and why it has to exist. Like, yes, of course, I wish I had never fallen. I wish I had never had to come to the ER today to have my arm treated. Yeah, I, of course, you know, but I did. And so now I need you to help me with that, <laughs> you know, because that's the issue at hand. So all of these things that we're witnessing right now are just things that I, I, like I said, I can't watch the videos anymore. I wish that it, I wish that it wasn't a thing, but it is. And so that's why a lot of these, these communities and these organizations are available to us. So regarding the second part of the question. Um, so yes, it, it's, these are issues that have been happening for a very long time. Police brutality is not new. The cameras are new inequities in criminal justice are not new. You know, it's just that we, there's a lot of attention on it right now. And what, what I so appreciate about today's climate is despite critics who say, well, and this is someone, a person of color told me this, you know, this, is, this has been going on for years. We, we've always known about police brutality. We, why is there such a focus on it now? And my response to that is, yes, I understand that. And I totally, again, wish it was something that we didn't have to think about and deal with, but I personally would rather see the worldwide expressions of support and the white fragility being sold out, you know, and all of these other things happening in response to something that has been going on for a while at baseline rather than what it was before when no one was paying attention to it. Like to me, I'm happier that it's more a part of the conversation. It's more comfortable to discuss in certain spaces you know i'm doing a podcast right now to talk about these things like i'm excited i don't know what the future holds i don't know what will definitely change i don't know what kind of laws in criminal justice reform and what will happen i do know that in minnesota recently they banned the chokehold and they're trying to talk about police reform and defunding the police and putting some of those resources toward other things and trying to you know balance that out but I think that it has been overall very positive. And, you know, again, obviously something that we wish didn't have to exist, but I'm optimistic about the steps that we are taking as a, as a country to try to look at it more deeply. I admire your optimism. And yeah. I, I hope, I hope. Um, I mean, what else can you do? Like, I mean, all you can do is hope. I have to take social media breaks. We talked about ways to help these moral and stress injuries i have to just shut it off i can't because i can't control what comes across my timeline yeah and so i'm looking at things and i'm like okay that looks like the beginning of something that i really don't want to see and i have to just stop and so i just stopped doing that and just got off of it all together yeah. and dedicated like maybe an out because a lot of times people get their news you know or their updates on their family from their facebook and their social media and that kind of thing so they they use it for that and so i just I recommend that people just take an hour. If you, if you can't look at those images anymore, just take an hour in the afternoon or in the morning, catch up with family, look, get your news or whatever, and then just shut it off because it just, it just, it's so, so damaging to your psyche. 
That's that was I was actually about to ask you about that because you had mm-hmm. mentioned reading Brianna Taylor's story on the GoFundMe page and yeah. these videos that circulate of these very mm-hmm. violent acts. That has to be a source of trauma, of stress mm-hmm. and injury. And so I I, I think taking breaks yeah. is one thing we can do. Is there anything else that we can do for our psyche to kind of heal those wounds? Yeah, it's a it's a difficult balance between trying to stay informed about what's going on around you and not making yourself vulnerable to some to just a very gross and destructive image that will damage your psyche. And so I think that, yeah, I think the main thing that has worked for me is just taking breaks and then using some of those other resources to combat stress injuries, like just making sure instead of scrolling on Insta, you know, for an hour, just reach out, call my sister, you know, hey, how are you? She's in Maryland. How are you? What's going on? What's happening? And Or call a friend that with our busy day-to-day lives that we don't get to connect with as often. My, like my really, really good friend that I haven't talked to in ages just because life gets the best of us. Yeah. I had a friend that I called and we talked and just connecting and again, educating. Instead of looking at a video, going to a website to, to learn more about how, how you can help and how you can assist and how you can reach out, and just transitioning some of those activities from the more detrimental ones to the ones that are more proactive about what you can do to fix it. That's really good advice. Yeah. Uh, speaking of advice, <laughs> we're coming up on the 1st of July. Yeah. We've got residents. I mean, my residents Zoom graduated. <laughs> we had med students who weren't even able to finish out their years and graduated early via Zoom. We've got fellows who are about to start their very first faculty job in this changed socially distanced environment. Do you have any specific advice uh, for those pathologists who are beginning new phases on July 1st in a different world than we thought we would be in a year ago? Absolutely. Yeah, we just had our virtual graduation for our residents and fellows last night, and it was just... It was so moving. And then when I was participating in that, I just could not stop myself from thinking about how I I can't even imagine graduating from residency or fellowship in this way. You know, like this is just completely unforeseen. And what should have been just an amazingly encouraging experience in a moment for our graduates, it's just so, it's in such an unusual format. It's not the, 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 the way you imagined, you know, being able to graduate from such a monumental event. And so I just kind of kept thinking about that. And all the things that I could think about were to give hope to the graduates. It's just, if I could talk to them, you know, because in a virtual format, you can't talk directly to people, but I would just say, just to please stay resilient. And remember to focus on all the hard work and all the sacrifices that have gotten you to this point. COVID or no COVID, pandemic or no pandemic, you still were an outstanding trainee. You worked, you came to work every day, you grow specimens, you previewed, you did what you had to do, and you're still finishing in a wonderful way. And remain grateful. They either have another year of pathology residency, you know, their next year in pathology residency, or they're switching over from 
general training to a new fellowship that's in a subspecialty or some of them had gotten jobs in private practice or at academic centers. So I think that it's good to remember to be grateful about that, especially now, like there are people that don't have that at all. And so I think staying resilient, remaining grateful, and just as we've said so many times during this interview, just to stay hopeful that what I like to call, instead of a new normal, a better normal, you know, is on the horizon um, for, for us. I just, it just, you have to have hope that these things will level out. Like there's a kidney meeting in American Society of Nephrology that just decided that it's going virtual. This is like a huge international meeting. And so we're just dealing with it. And knowing that our abstract presentations will still be able to be presented, but you know, you just have to figure it out, stay resilient and just keep moving forward. That's just the best advice I can give. That's wonderful. And I love a better normal. I'm going yeah. to feel that and start using it. <laughs> you can have it. I mean, I got, I took it from someone else, you know, and I just say, pay it forward. You know, I'm going to, we're moving yeah. into a better normal. Yeah. Dr. Ellis, wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us about these very complex and difficult issues. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's just, it's been so rewarding to be able to talk about it. It helps me. It helps my wellness, you know, to be able to discuss it in, in this way. And I just so appreciate the opportunity. I really do. It's an honor. Support for the Free PathPod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to PathPod wherever you download your podcasts. PathPod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod.